Wow. (laughs) I don't think I've ever started off an episode with the word wow. I quite literally just finished this interview with Howard Falco. We wrapped up about an hour ago and I'm already uploading it to my podcast because it was such a beautiful interview and quite literally this episode required zero editing. It flowed in a way that is absolutely indescribable. And there were some pretty interesting and magical things that happened throughout this episode that I'm just going to leave that for you to discover on your own. But first, I wanted to give you my insight on who Howard Falco is. To me, Howard Falco is a brilliant, humble, and truly delightful spiritual teacher and someone I'm honored to call my friend. Howard's words, both spoken and written, are rooted in a balmy, loving essence that cradles you as you seek to release what's holding you back in life and replace it with what will spring you forward. Each and every conversation I share with Howard leaves me feeling peaceful and faith-filled. You can have anything you want in this life, and Howard is here to show you the way. I would like to give you a little background as to who Howard Falco is via his bio. Howard is a spiritual teacher and peak performance mental strength coach, author, and expert on human understanding and potential. Howard works on using the power of true mindfulness with college and professional athletes and coaches in almost every sport, along with everyday individuals looking for empowerment of mind. He has authored two books on the power of the mind, I Am, The Power of Discovering Who You Really Are, and Time in a Bottle, Mastering the Experience of Life. Howard has developed a rare insight and clarity regarding how any individual achieves peak performance and moves closer and closer to their full potential and true intentions. In a very relatable and effective way, Howard presents the wisdom regarding how to shift the probabilities of what is possible and how to step into that possibility with a new attitude and master awareness of mind, both in sports and in life. So without further ado, here is Howard Falco. You are listening to the Sweet Empowerment Podcast with Kristen Brown, where we upgrade our relationships and life by applying practical ideas, universal truths, and life-changing inspiration. Let's go have some fun. Howard, 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 what an incredible honor it is to have you with me today. I, as you know, that I've been reading your book for a couple of months and I am the power of discovering who you really are. I want to show up to everybody who's watching this on video. And of course I made all my little bookmark notes and I just am so excited to get into this with you. And as I was writing questions yesterday that I wanted to ask you, I realized that you and I could have probably five of these interviews. Yeah. So I really hope to just dive in and really touch the surface or not touch the surface, you know, really just deliver some powerful, impactful points, which I know is always what you deliver every single time I talk to you. And I can already tell you ahead of time that this will be an interview that I will listen to again. So thank you for being here, Howard. It is truly my honor. Thanks for having me, Kristen. I appreciate the beautiful introduction and uh, I'm honored to share. Yay, yay. So I'm just going to start out by saying, Howard, that your book is so eloquently written and beautifully crafted 
what I noticed as I was reading, and I would love to hear if this is how it really was, is it flowed from the beginning. It flowed like into who we are physically. And then it went into this beautiful flow of who we are spiritually. Like it makes my eyes tear up. Just saying that it's like, yeah, you just gave me goosebumps from head to toe. It's like, I was like, wow, the way, like your heart and soul is in this book and it is obvious and it's prevalent. And I felt hugged and secure Mm. while I was reading it. Like, I felt like, like the neutrality of your essence rather than any sort of judgment or you got to do it this way or any sort of rah, rah. It was this beautiful feeling of love as I read your book. So I really wanted to say that to you. Wow. Um, I, I, I have no words. I, I am so grateful for you and, um, wow, that is really, you, you nailed it. I mean, that is the essence of what the intent was in writing it and the intent in the structure of it, moving from the physical, ultimately ascending to the spiritual as you learn more and more of the truth of who you are. So um, you're dialed completely in on this book, uh, which is awesome. And I'm gonna say this too, it's, it's really one of the greatest spiritual pieces that I have ever read. Like it'll go in my library of one of those books that I go, okay, I'm feeling some kind of way right now. And I'm going to open the book randomly and I'm going to find the first highlighted passage that I have. And I'm going to read it. Like I've done that many, many times with my books. And I also think you're going to laugh. It needs to be in every hotel room's nightstand. (laughs) No, um, I I know you got a virtual hug from the book, but I'm giving you one right now because I so, I can't thank you enough for your words. And I just appreciative that the book found you and that we connected and that you are feeling what the intention was through the material. So that's awesome. Yeah. I know that feeling as an author, when someone really relates to what your intent was, it's like, uh, like you feel like you just landed, you know, it's just so good. So let's just dive right in. And would Mm -hmm. you mind sharing with all the listeners and watchers who are going to see and hear this, how, like, what prompted you to write this book? So the book is the result of a massive, um, for lack of a better word, awakening or shift in consciousness that I had in a six month period from June to, or July to December of 2002. Just to back up a little bit, I've told this story a ton of times, but I, I wanna share it with your audience. I was a seeker. I, ever since my eyes first laid upon the dark night sky when I was camping, the moonless sky, and I looked up and couldn't believe what I was seeing above my head from a standpoint of the trillions of stars that were up there and the Milky Way that stretched across the sky. You know, growing up in Chicago, I had never seen that before because of of light pollution. And so when we went camping near the Canadian border when I was 14, the first night when I went out on on our dock by our cabin and looked up, something shifted in me deeply. And it caused a whole bunch of questions on the nature of life and what we're here, what what the meaning is behind it. And these were intense questions at that time that sort of set me on a path. That path and those questions were in the back of my mind as I went through an ordinary life. My parents got divorced in my teens. I left home at 18 um, from Chicago to go to school at Arizona State and put myself through school. I was a young romantic looking to fall in love at a young age and get married and get going with a family. So I was going through all these these, um, motions as a human being, trying to find what I thought would bring peace and happiness. 
Um, I got into the financial business because, you know, during my parents' divorce, I thought that money was the root of their problems. There were two things, really. They were married young, 18 and 20, and money was always a problem in the house. So I I sought someone who was mature and I wanted to do something in my work environment that helped me get my arms around money. Mm -hmm. So I was checking all these things off the list, um, met the girl I would eventually marry and, and, and I'm married to for 28 years and fell in love, had two children. So I was checking all these things off. But as I was checking them off, Kristen, I wasn't getting that feeling of satiation. I enjoyed the experiences and I loved my family, my, everything I was doing but I couldn't take that collective breath yet. And I kept wondering why. And so I kept going up the list. I'm like, well, I haven't achieved millions of dollars yet. That's gotta be it. And what happened was I realized in one instant, because I was working with so many people that had so much money who weren't happy, that money wasn't the answer. Yeah. That was the last thing on my list. I was out. I didn't know what it was anymore. Yeah. And that shook me to my core because my whole life from that moment looking at the stars i thought i'll figure this out this is what you do to become happy in life and then i'll figure it all out and what was happening is the more i accumulated the less i got satiated isn't that, and that scared me yeah. yeah and so in a moment of profound yearning um not being religious spiritual scientific at the time i just got on my knees in, in the hallway of my home um, and I threw my hands up and I said, look, I, I can't go on anymore unless I understand what this is all about. I need answers. Wow. I want answers. I'm ready for answers. And I don't care if I have to give up my life for them. Wow. So it was, it was like, I was exhausted. Yeah. So over the next couple of weeks, I went into a, a seminar for the financial industry at a, at a local resort. Uh, a guy I'd read a couple of books from was giving a, a seminar on the, on the psychological side of trading the markets. Uh, which I thought was interesting. I thought the books were fascinating. So during the seminar, he's talking about this idea that you're creating the whole experience of, of whether you win or lose in the markets, how much money you put in, what vehicle. You're creating the whole experience by your choices and reactions. And somehow that hit me on a whole different level with life. And I realized, wow, I'm doing that with my entire life. And what it did was it shifted this idea of where the power is to find peace and happiness from something external to something internal. Mm -hmm. And in that moment, I took this collective breath. I was like, okay, now I know it's within me. Now I just got to figure out how, but this was enough to make me feel really good. And the second thing was my whole life, I felt I wasn't good enough. Uh, maybe it was because, you know, my father at times tended to be negative with me. Um, and I just didn't feel worthy or good enough. And then he said one thing in the seminar, he said, well, if you know, if you could have done better in any moment of your life, you just would have. And my, my brain had a hard time reconciling that one or avoiding right. that truth. And then I was like, wow, I have been doing the best I can. That's just what I've had. And so that helped me and that broke me free. The other thing, which is really important for people to hear is that I connected the dots on my questioning in my hallway few weeks earlier to what was happening in that seminar. And what I did was I thought, oh my gosh, this is the answer to a question that I asked a few weeks ago. And then it really hit me. Wow. And I was like, this is how life works. You have inquiries and questions, you seek awareness and life will provide you that insight. If you're just open to it, mindful and present, it will show up in your life. 
And that got me excited. I fired off a ton more questions. And over the next six months, information and awareness started to flood me in a endless uh, string of coincidences. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Um, and that's what happened. And then I, I hit a crescendo in December of 2002 where, um, I don't know how deep you want me to go into this, but I'll give you the short story was- sure, Yeah, please. Over this time period, I'd ask questions and then a week later, I'd experience the answer or- three weeks later, or I had two days later, a comment from someone in a grocery store. And in this time in December of 2002, I was in my office at work. And all of a sudden it was like something just dropped in the top of my head, a profound insight. And I was like, Whoa, that's really cool. I got to write that down because that I know that to be true now. And I wrote it down before I could get the sentence done. Another one hit. It was like when that first raindrop hits you yeah, and you don't know if it's a bird or you don't know what it is happening. And then all of a sudden it starts raining and then it was just pouring. And I couldn't write down all this information fast enough. So I ended up at the public library. I, I pulled a bunch of books from philosophy, religion, um, spirituality. And I went to the back of the library with these books, just sort of trembling and shaking, not knowing what was going on. And when I opened any book, the insight was already known. And that's when I started to just break down and cry because the first, my first thought was who the heck am I? Some guy with a family in the middle of Scottsdale, Arizona. <laughs> yeah. And you're telling me I can open this book on Freud or open the new Testament or open anything and see it. That's ridiculous. You know, I, and I, I covered my head almost in this unbelievable sense of humility. Yeah. And the more I read, the more I realized that what happened was that the space between question and answer had collapsed. I had opened to so much awareness that it became what's called simultaneous awareness. And I knew in that instant, Kristen, that the rest of my life was going to be dedicated to honoring this insight, to being a good servant of the awareness and understanding. And that's how I am was born. I decided to write. I'd never written before, but a few months later, I was journaling. I, this, this information was just pouring out of my pores. And I was journaling and poetry showed up on the paper. I, yes. <laughs> And that blew me away. And so I wrote about 35 poems. And then when I was done with the poetry, I'm like, I got to write about this. And that's when my wife said, go for it. I'm behind you. Um, there's a longer story to that, but it all worked out. And and then I wrote the, I wrote, I am, and I've been teaching and speaking about it ever since. So that's the short story. Wow. That's brilliant. And I had chills the whole time. My face hurts from smiling. <laughs> I, I understand so much of what you're saying. I'm also thinking though, when you said, I'm not a writer. I'm like, are you freaking kidding me? I mean, this writing is, it's so profound and it's so clear. I mean, it's, there's nothing left here where someone has to go, what does he mean? Like, it's so clear, even though the writing is exquisite, you know, because sometimes people, I've heard this, people say this to me. They're like, I love that you, the way you write, because you make tough concepts easier to understand. And, and I think you do exactly the same thing. Like some of these concepts, the way you break them down, just make them so, uh, is it palpable? Is that the word I'm looking for? Um, digestible, understandable, impactful, impactful yeah. you know, all of those things. Yeah. And I was also thinking the fact when you said, I'm not a writer, I'm like the poetry. And for everybody listening, when you get this book, he has poems interspersed throughout, which I have already planned that I want you to read one at the end. I won't tell you which one. Um, do you have a book nearby? Yeah. Okay. I got a bunch. Yeah. Okay. 
<laughs> because I'm going to have Howard read that. But I want to just dive into like really the the beginning of this. And it, there's a lot, you guys. So I'm going to be, you know, I, I'm going to do it in order that the book was laid out, but it's going to be, you know, like I said, we're just going to be able to touch the surface of these things. But in your very first chapter, it is titled, You Are Energy and Matter. And I would love for you to explain to our listeners what that means. So I thought it was really important in the very beginning of the book to give the foundation of what is it that makes up every single thing that we experience in, quote, reality, right? Reality is the experience of the five senses, the sixth sense, uh, to a certain degree, um, which goes actually beyond, quote, matter, as uh, where the sixth sense lies. But it's I thought it was important for people to understand what turns the infinite source or the infinite expression of energy into matter. And the, the real important linchpin in the whole thing comes down to attention, an observer. You are the eternal observer. So what you give your attention to is what not only holds it together, but what also brings it together. And that can be positively or negatively. So it was important to give an understanding of how science has expressed this through, through uh, classical phys physics and more importantly, through quantum physics, the nature of how the wave of infinite possibility collapses into the particle of matter. And it was really important as a foundational element because everything you do through the rest of the book and understanding yourself and who you are is going to relate to that attention yeah. and attention comes from intention. And that's where self-awareness is key. Because once you dig into your own self, you can understand what your intention is, therefore where your intention goes, therefore what you bring together in your life in terms of what matters and has impact on you. And so that, that first section of You Are Energy and Matter, or that first chapter is very important in setting the tone for the basis of it. Um, and also I wanted to, you know, there was a thought when, when this occurred, it was a lot of thoughts, but <laughs> yeah, one of the thoughts was. was, do I shave my head and put a robe on and change my name and go up on a mountain? Because I, I that was a thought, a real yeah, thought. I but I thought, you know what? That's not who I am. I'm a regular everyday person who is in love with their family, was enjoying coaching club baseball at the time with my son. And I don't, I don't want to disappear. And, you know, so I thought, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to bring this in in as mainstream as possible. So to do that, I wanted to make sure I covered this the information in a way where a scientist or someone who's um, science-minded based could experience it, yeah. someone who's psychologically based could experience it, and someone who's spiritually or even religiously based could understand it without it having any sort of denigration on their paradigm of understanding. And you nailed it. If I remember correctly, there is no words that would cause separation like, like God or, um, law of attraction or, you know, am I right with that? Yeah, I, right, no I was, yes, I was very aware of yes. not because the ego will take any one of those things in order to deny, right? You're going into, go, my oh, next, you're going yeah. into my next question. <laughs> I love that you brought like you that said, up. We could be on for hours. <laughs> we, we hear a lot about the, the word ego today in the world and People have all kinds of definitions. There's so much information out there and people, I, I feel like it would be great to really set the stage of what the ego is and how it plays a part in our life. Sure. So from my understanding, 
Um, and the way that I interpreted it and understood it and put it together was ego is the bridge between your truth and the actions that go out into the world to help you seek the experience and thus the validation of that truth so that you know I am. You can't know, you can only know I am in your head so long. You can only fool yourself so long in your head until you have an experience of it. You can say I'm a professional athlete, but until you experience being one, you can say I'm a great husband or wife or sister or brother or son or daughter until you have some experience that validates that. Um, unless it's so grounded in you and you're so comfortable with it that you don't need any validation anymore. But people seek creative experiences of who they are. So the ego is the bridge. I use the acronym energy goes out, E-G-O. Mm, love that. Right? That's the first so time all I've heard the, that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, all the energy that goes out of you um, is coming from your identity. So the ego is the bridge and it is your best friend. It is there to protect defend and validate what you believe to be true on the deepest level, not who you think you are. You can think you're a great business person, but the ego is going to serve the deepest truth. And if there's an insecurity that you're not good enough, that's what the ego will create in your life to reveal that to you so that you can have the opportunity to reflect and change it. But it's, it's going to, you're, you, the reason I explain the ego like this is because I wanted people to be that witness to themselves so they can see when their ego's flaring up, when their emotions kick in through the ego, what is it doing to defend and protect and why, and does it serve you? Because a lot of the time there's a disconnect between who you think you are and what the, your true I am's are. And I think by looking at the ego this way, it'll help you identify where it's coming from. If someone, I use the example in the book, if someone tells you that, you know, you want to be a fashionable dresser and someone says, oh, you, you look terrible. If your ego kicks in, then it's because you're not confident in yourself on some level, or you haven't accomplished what you want to get the favor of others to confirm that to you. So anyway, that's where I believe the ego sits. I don't think it's anything you need to destroy because no one can destroy their ego. Not even the Dalai Lama. Dalai Lama has an ego. He says yes or no to speaking engagements. He says yes or no to people to do things. He he wears a certain clothing every day that represents who he is. So he has an ego. Yeah. It's a small, tiny one that yeah. is very, you know, versus well, some of bigger was, ones in the world. That was one of my <laughs> questions is that, you know, we hear about the undoing of the ego, which, you know, like you said, it's a small, tiny one, but like, how would be the word, how would you best describe just listening to it less, having the voice less loud? I mean, how would you describe like, what would be an optimal way to function? Yeah, you can't listen to it less, but you can, um, you can hear what it's saying, find the origin of what's driving the instructions that it's getting and then change your truth. Yeah. yeah. So it's revealing to you what your real truth is. Yeah. Right. Um, if you um, get angry at one of your children in a way that wasn't becoming of you and you lost your mind, what was it? What insecurity was brought out in you? What truth do you believe is going to happen to your children if they don't do X, Y or Z that caused you to react like that? It helps you to see more of where you're operating from. So you can only let's call it tame the ego. Yeah, that's nice. Through more of an acceptance of the truth of what is in the world. Now, I have to quantify this because that does not mean you 
condone what's going on in the world or in your family or in your life does not mean you want it for tomorrow. But resistance creates negative energy. Negative energy turns into negative emotion where the ego is going to act up mm-hmm. through that because of that resistance, because of that fear that's generated through that resistance. So the more you can accept what the truth is in life, the more tame your ego is, the more calm it is, and the more clear-headed you are, and the more you can simply act to create to change things from a more effective place. You can talk to your kids calmly and clearly where they respect you and listen versus always yelling at them where they don't listen and they lie. I'm just throwing one example out of right. two different paths you can take, one yes. coming from an, an, uh, an ego full of fear and one coming from an ego with acceptance. Yes. So I, I think that's more the answer is just find out where you're resisting things in life about yourself or the life around you and try and get into more of a harmony with what the truth is so that you can then be more effective at changing it. Yeah. One of the questions I asked myself, well, I asked myself two questions. What are you afraid of? And what are you believing to be true right now? Mm, that's good. And when I asked myself, good. you know, the believing to be true right now, man, I, it's amazing what I come up with. It's amazing what kind of BS comes out of my head. I'm like, oh, no wonder why I'm feeling small and restricted and scared and, and not confident or whatever it might be, because I'm believing that little bugger right there. And is that true? You know, I start to question these things. And you, we talked about earlier about the awareness of the whole thing, you know, really just getting into that place of inquiry and questioning and curiosity that I feel like we can, we can reveal so much of what's going inside of us. If we're ignoring it, that stuff just keeps like on spin cycle, right? It's just on buffer. It just keeps going. Well, life is here to show us what's possible. Yeah. Yeah. So the more we open to that idea that anything is possible, the less lessons we have to receive and the more we can just create and experience life with more of a flow. Yeah. People that resist truth have more of a, a tougher path. Yeah, I think so as well. And which is a great segue into my next question is I wanted to talk about getting stuck in that path and what that means and how, you know, how we can get out of it. You know, some like to call it the survival mode, right? So can you share with us, like what, if someone feels like they're just on repeat and their life is just the same thing over and over again, they can't quite break free. What, what are some things that they could do? Start with, I haven't broken free yet rather than can't because can't is an idea that the ego believes to be true, that it'll keep repeating in order to validate it. Mm -hmm. So I haven't broken through yet. Number two, this comes down to will. How much suffering are you willing to take before you'll act and become vulnerable with change? And that's really what it comes down to is this idea of change, right? Everybody gets, a lot of people, not everybody, a lot of people get comfortable with the known. And so to change and get out of the spin cycle, out of that stuckness, you have to really be ready for something different and new, which is going to make you vulnerable in certain areas, vulnerable in your relationship vulnerable with your finances, vulnerable with your status with other people. But the true pioneers in the world that achieve greater and greater things that they desire and want to manifest are unafraid of moving out on that spectrum of vulnerability. And it always comes down to that word. We've talked about that before, actually, on on the app, Um, is that the more vulnerable you can become, the more potential the more you increase your potential for creating what you want. And that vulnerability, the gap that helps fill that vulnerability and keeps fear at bay is faith. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. And the more faith you have when you go into vulnerability. And I like to tell like my athletes or individuals going through tough situations in life that it's a win-win. And the win-win is, as you've heard many times, you're either going to get to where you want to go or you're going to learn something. Yeah. But either way, you're going to respect who you are more for moving to create and expand. And I think a lot of people who grow older and sort of inward and cranky and uh, they, they, they don't want to change. And because the universe is constantly expanding and growing and life keeps moving, they start to feel more disconnected and out of touch with life. And that makes them even crankier. Yeah. And, and you know, so, so I think for, to answer your question, it's about a will and the understanding that you have the power to do it when you have the will and when you understand, and, and I guess self-awareness in this process of learning this material can help people yes. get, well, wake them up and go, wow, I can do this. I can, I am worthy. Which is segueing me into another question because one of, one of those questions is that, well, it's not even a question. It's a statement that I'd like you to expand on, which is we don't have to be, you know, you know, my story too, Howard. And for both of us, it appears we had to be down on our knees in that position where we just finally cracked open, but that's not necessary, right? We don't right. have to get to that place yet. Correct. Many of us, many of us don't seek change or, or better until we're at that place. Like it takes that to crack open. And since mm -hmm. now having cracked open, I like to remain in the cracked open space because I know that's where the magic is. But what would you say to somebody who is listening to this? Like, you don't have to wait for your, your life to implode around you before you open. Right. Um, yeah, you don't have to hit rock bottom, right? Yeah. But I would just say, if you're a seeker of the world's greatest wisdom and power, creative power, then you'll open to more of this insight and understanding. You'll dive into it and learn more about the power that you have and you'll move forward. One thing that I, uh, I can't do as a teacher is install a will into somebody. Mm -hmm. I can grease the wheel for the will through a greater understanding that they're going to survive at all, no matter what, because the only inevitable is life. So <laughs> everybody's going to, you know, there's, it's kind of a big, uh, you know, they say the only inevitable is death and taxes and neither of those are true. Um, <laughs> it's, it's the only inevitable is really the opposite, which is life. Um, so uh, I can't put a will into somebody right. um, that has to come from themselves when they're ready. And that is their quote, free will, right. To decide when they want to push themselves. And I've brought as many people as I can to the info and insight and some run with it and some stop right there and go, I'm not ready yet. It's fine. So it has to really come from a strong will, but I think knowledge, this insight and awareness helps. Have you ever had somebody say to you, like really fight what you're sharing? Like you're like, Hey, and you're sharing some information and they're like, well, you think you're all that, or you think you know better than other people. Have you had anybody fight you on that? No, no, that's good. And Maybe it's because the way it's presented always gives them an option to where yes. it doesn't bring them to that pressure point. Yes. I, what I try to do as a teacher, what I, what I do, I shouldn't say try, I do do this. I try to walk into the situation without any personal need. Yeah. 
And I think that helps. Yeah. Uh, because I know if they're coming into the room with me, they're ready for this insight. They're ready to, to yeah. understand oh, yes. more. Yes. Yeah. So let's just circle back just a little bit because you said something that it's a win-win. So let's talk about failure. The whole thing that people think they're failing or they're not enough or they're not getting there. Let's talk about that whole situation. Um, well, the word itself is negatively connotated mm-hmm. and causes self-loathing, self, you know, regret, shame, guilt, not good enough. So the word already has carries with it sort of an issue. Um, I don't believe in, in failure as a word. I don't like the word. I like did not execute on what you wanted to or went through a learning experience. Yeah. And I think that allows people to see it more as a process than as a, a way to label themselves as many people use failure to do. It's almost purposeful. Uh, to get that identity of feeling not good enough, they purposely create a failure and then use the failure as more evidence to support the belief that they're no good. All of it is a lie because yeah. there isn't anybody that is comes into existence that isn't worthy of anything that they want to achieve. Yeah. Everybody is. You know, what's fascinating to me is that as just as an individual, I've never attached to the word failure. Like it's never you know, there's, we, we joke, oh, that was an epic fail. Ha ha ha. You know, we can joke about it, but as far as me moving through life, I never thought, oh, I failed at that. I always, in my own head, I just thought, well, that didn't work. I'll try something else. Right. It's just a softer way to explain the same thing. It didn't come together, but that word failure just goes deeper into the identity and really makes it harder for a person uh, to dig out of it. And and that's why I just don't, the word has just been kind of ruined in, in, it in pop has. culture. And that's why I wanted to bring that up because a lot, you're hearing this a lot out there in the world. You're going to fail. You're going to fail 10,000 times. Yeah. You're going to yeah. fail. You know, why do we have to call it that? Because to yeah. me, like you said, it's, it's so neg- negative. It's like, I just think, oh, that didn't work. I'll try something else. It's kind of like yeah. if a recipe doesn't work out, you know, oh, I put too much salt in. I'll do a little bit. I don't go, oh, that was a exactly. failed recipe. I just say maybe it was too salty, which is not normal for me because I don't salt anything. <laughs> well, I think people are, um... excuse me. Yeah. But oh my gosh, you. I'm sneezing on the truth. Um, I, I think my um... nose has been itching like crazy. We're in Arizona, you guys, both of us. <laughs> there's, there's allergies afoot. Yeah. Um, but I think, I think people are trying to use that word to help soften it when they say you're going to fail a bunch of times. So don't let the word bother you. Maybe that's why they're doing it. You know, if you look at science, they look at failure as they get excited. You know, they do an experiment that has a failure and they're, Ooh, we failed. Why do they get excited? Cause then it moves them one combination closer to what might work. We can eliminate that combination. Oh, we failed. We can eliminate that combination. Let's try this. And they tweak and tweak and tweak and tweak and boom, they get the formula. So they look at it positively. So I want to move into emotions because we've, it's funny how this, it's not funny. It's like, of course it is, but it's, it's just really flowing into each thing so beautifully as I felt like it would, but we, you talked about shame and guilt and unworthiness. Those things have come up so far. So emotions is a large part of this book. And I was, when I turned the page and I saw that that's the chapter, I was like, okay, let's dive into this because I love, I love the whole topic of emotions as well, but I would love for you to share with everybody what emotions are for, what they really mean, what they can tell us, what they're, what they're all about. So the emotional system is designed to 
get excess energy out of your body and mind, either negatively charged or positively charged. So when we get to an abundance of energy, that's an overload that causes an imbalance that is not deemed tolerable, that energy moves its way into our emotional system and then moves out of our body, either in crying, laughing, screaming, um, anger. Um, I mean, there's a depression. There's a whole bunch of different ways to connotate an emotion. But it is designed by our system to help get us back to a state of balance because we can't survive an imbalance because at imbalance, we lose clarity and awareness and awareness is needed for survival. When Darwin said it's survival of the fittest, what he really meant was, um, if he said that, by the way, that quote is may not be attributed to him, but if he did say it, it is the idea is it's survival of the most aware and adaptable because change is the common thing from life. So you need awareness in order to navigate and change. So the emotional- Say that again again for the people in the back and for me. Awareness is about who can- Who can adapt and change. The the survival of the fittest is about who can adapt and change the quickest. Love that. Because change is constant in life. And so you have to adapt and change. When you're in emotions, you're stuck. So for example, someone who's done really well in the real estate or the stock market and gets a huge inflated quote ego about it and feels like, oh my gosh, I'm going to make money forever. Let's just keep buying more properties. And they don't pay attention to the awareness that we're at historical high and that life is about rhythms, up and down patterns, then they're going to be buying even more and not be aware that there's any risk. And all of a sudden they're going to lose it all because they didn't have that awareness to evaluate what the current circumstance was because they were in too much of an emotional high. Same thing with a sports team that's really is undefeated. That's why they become susceptible to a loss because they start to believe that they, they can beat everyone and expect and not play. On the negative side, it's the same thing. Someone who's had a loss of a relationship, that negativity can cause them to believe there's no one that'll ever love them ever again. And so they don't move and adapt and change because they don't believe in it because they're only looking at one little thing out of an infinite number of possibilities. So the emotional system is key to be able to understand it so you can let it flow. And that's why it's important for males and females to allow that emotion to come out of them in a very safe and effective way. The second part about the emotions is that it's also a hint at where conflict resides in a belief. Mm-hmm. And any belief that causes resistance, it stems from a lie. Yeah. So again, if you believe because someone left you that you're not worthy of love, you're gonna suffer through your emotions because that suffering is trying to get you to a greater truth that you are worthy. Mm -hmm. But it's the only way life knows sometimes how to get you the awareness is through suffering. Yeah. Because um, so anyway, so the emotional system is just key to understand it so that you can learn how to master it and, and be and and for those that want to be in the most powerful state of awareness for most of their life, it's important to understand your emotions and how to redirect them. I love that, Howard. That is so awesome. You're that's so well said. There's a little part of your book that stood out to me and I loved it. You were, I think you were golfing with a friend, and he said, So here I am. 50, well, here, here I was 50 years old, divorced, broke, broke, jobless and living on my friend's couch. And then I highlighted all because I was trying to do it my way. Yeah. All because I was still trying to do it my way. Yeah. And it was a, uh, 
still. Um, yeah, yeah, he knew there... your book well, but <laughs> I did say still. Um, and he was someone that I, I didn't know him. He was just a single that was paired up with uh, me and a friend of mine. And what struck me about the conversation and what caused me to remember it is that he wasn't, he still hadn't changed the thoughts and ideas that got him into the mess. So how was it supposed to get him out of the mess? Right. So until we're able to humble ourselves that we don't have it figured out and we open to insight and help from others or just the universe in general, we're going to remain in that cycle of pain until it's intolerable. Yeah. Um, so, but, but if you can learn that the universe and everything in it is here to serve you and your journey of awareness and creativity, then you can trust it more yeah. and you can be a little more humble through the process, which is very powerful. Yeah, I love that. There's another thing that you talked about that I love the way you outlined this. Let me find it in the book real quick. 198 is the page that it is on. Um, an unwanted situation can eventually have an extremely positive impact on your life if you are willing to embrace the meaning of it in your life. Each challenging event holds a great message for the person going through it. Before you respond, I'm going to say this was my experience because when I went through what I call my tsunami, my listeners know what that is. I, it, it was like this most difficult time, most painful, most scary, most anxiety ridden, but I was open to what it meant for me. And that changed everything. So how, how how could you speak on that, Howard, about those unwanted situations that seem seem to come up all the time? I think this goes down For to this people. fundamental way of looking at life. Um, you know, Einstein said, you either look at life like nothing is a miracle or everything is a miracle. And then that segues into this idea that life is either happening to you or it's happening for you. And I think when you take the latter on both of those and you say that life is happening for me, then it will help you, even though these are painful situations at first or grief-stricken moments that we all have to go through as human beings and part of life and existence. If you can look at it like life is working, divinity is working to help you learn something through the experience, then it will, it will decrease the length of the pain that you go through and increase more of the... Um, what you can mine or nurture out of the situation for your life going forward and, and help you get back into that creative, peaceful mode again quicker rather than languishing in the resistance and the depression of what's happening. Not that there isn't a certain time everybody goes through that, but I think it's important underneath it all to see that there's something always in it for you yeah. on your journey. And you have, and it, that's what really faith is about yeah. and trust is. But the, yeah. the bigger your faith, and that could be spiritual, it could be religious, it could be scientific, it doesn't matter. But the bigger your faith and how life works, the more comfort. Yes. And that's going to lead me right into my next question. But I wanted to say to that, it was those exact words. I don't know who or what or where I heard it or read it, but it said, life is happening for you, not to you. And I, when I could have that mindset shift from victim, 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 poor me, you know, nothing's ever going to get better. This sucks to what is trying to be revealed here. What is on the other side of that? That's That was the moment that that I really, like that was the hugest perception shift in my life where I could be like, 
this is for me somehow. And it was because I was open to learning what this was all about. And that's what, you know, became my big cracking open and my waking up, so to speak. So beautiful. I love this. This is a great segue into the faith portion of this, because you talk about faith a lot. And I, like I mentioned earlier in the conversation, I can, I love listening to Howard. I can listen to Howard all the time and just hear, I'm following you on your podcast now, since I discovered you had one. And we'll talk about that for everybody, but it's like just listening and, and getting those reminders over and over again about what really life has for us out there is so important. And in this quote on page 216, you say, fear is a self-fulfilling prophecy. On the other hand, faith is also a self-fulfilling prophecy explanation point. You want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah. Um, Again, this goes back to how we started this conversation, that your attention is what brings energy into matter. And so if it's fear-based... It's going to draw those things into your life that validate the fear. If it's faith-based, faith meaning faith in what you can create, what you can do, what you can achieve, it's going to increase the probabilities by bringing the conditions of the circumstances around you and drawing those into you that help you fulfill the idea of what you have faith in. So life is really a self-fulfilling prophecy, and that's why it's so important to have a mindset that brings in faith and to have a construction underneath you of what you believe to be true about yourself that allows the joy and the bliss of what that faith will bring into your life to come in. And that's why we skipped over it a little bit, but why guilt, shame, and regret is such a big part of understanding in the book that those three things are really uh, the biggest poisons of the mind. Um, And there's really nothing to be guilty, shameful, or regretful about. Um, That doesn't mean you don't take responsibility. That doesn't mean you don't have to learn and move forward and change. But to take guilt, shame, and regret in your life a day further is only going to poison the creative space of now. Yeah. And it won't allow you to allow what faith will bring into your life because you don't feel you're worthy of a vessel of receiving that. But you will attach to the fear because that's what the guilt, shame, and regret says you're you're worth. So that's why that's so key part of the book. But But yeah, life is a self-fulfilling prophecy. And so when you realize this and you realize once you figure out, wow, so what am I thinking? How am I thinking and feeling about the truth about myself? Like a computer code, what's the coding and what output is that creating? And how can I come back and look at the code and change a few things and see, have some faith in what might happen with a change in the code inside of me? So, and that to me, the code is, I am. Yeah. And whatever comes from that, that is the core of the code. Yeah. So um, anyway, that's what I'll say about. Um, I love that because, well, and of course, this is blowing my mind because, you know, my next question was this, what would you tell someone who feels tremendous amounts of regret, <laughs> shame, <laughs> and unworthiness for past question. choices? Wow. Yeah. That was my next question. So um, it's it's interesting how this is just flowing. I didn't even need questions. What am I even doing over here on this whole <laughs> Microsoft Word doc? Um, but I would I would like to expand on that a little bit about about truly I am. You know everything that follows I am. Howard has um, was so generous to give me a quote for my book. I said this is what I would like, and I would like it to go right here. Could you find the perfect quote to go into my new book that's not out yet, but it's going to be uh, the Recovering People Pleaser, and. 
you put this perfect little quote about I am. And there were several of them throughout here that I didn't highlight because like I said, there's so much in this book that I didn't bring up to this conversation. But if you could just really break down I am, what does that really mean? What's the power of that? Because you said when you're feeling, um, when life is showing you things that you are not wanting, you can I am basically your way to a more empowered life. Yeah, by 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 reevaluating what you believe to be true about yourself, recoding it yeah. with new I am statements that you can embrace and move forward with every single day. But I am is life itself. You know, even biblically, when Moses asked God who he was, he said, I am that I am, which is all things infinite. And so we are, if, if from a religious perspective, if you're sparks of the divine, then, then that I am lives in you, that identity lives in you. But to me, what I am is, is I, meaning identity, am, meaning experience. Mm -hmm. So I must turn into am, thought must turn into reality, mind must become matter. I must become am. And so whatever your identity is, whatever you feel the truth is, and you have sometimes you have to dig in through self-awareness to find this, is going to what your ego is going to work for to create for yourself. So getting a hold of that identity is everything. Be consciously versus allowing it to run subconsciously like it has for everybody on the planet since they were little, right? Through genetics and upbringing and nurturing and personal experience, that identity gets created before you're consciously aware of it but when you know now that you have the power to write the story the way you want for who you are and you have the faith to walk that identity yeah. then that's what brings you closer to the am that you want to experience so that that's my best way of i love that and i i'm thinking this question came up because i hear this a lot what if i'm saying i am statements and i don't believe them what if I say I am successful? I am gorgeous. I I am liked. I am whatever someone might be coming up with. What if they say I'm saying those things, but I just don't believe them? It's not working. Well, we can fantasize all we want. I mean, that's part of life. You can fantasize, but a dream without real belief behind it's only going to remain a dream, right? Beautiful. So, can so, embody it, right? We have to. Yeah, you, and and so many people go through the, the motions, just go through the motions of stating I am statements, but their inner soul has no agreement with that whatsoever. It, they're, they're fooling themselves into believing that they're adopting those things. That's why the real work of self-awareness, which is what the book is dedicated to, to really dig in and understand the truth about yourself. So yeah. when you come out at the end of that book, you have no doubt about who you are and what you're capable of. Yeah. That's the real soul expanding work or my book or anybody else's book that does that. So um, yeah, a lot of people go through the motions with journaling and stuff, but you have to look at those words, say it, and it has to resonate. It's such truth Yes, that you don't feel you need to say it the next day. Yeah. I say it's bringing it from here to here. It's dropping it from the head to the heart. Because if you, we're just thinking it up here that to me, that doesn't feel embodied, but when right. I can really feel it into my heart and I practice this because I had such a tremendous fear of public speaking, even though I was doing my podcasts and I was doing my YouTube videos and stuff. When I got in wisdom, that was live. 
And that was scary to me. I was nervous to get on wisdom. Okay. Just for anybody who's listening, we didn't mention this yet, but Howard and I are both on a social audio app called wisdom. And I was familiar with Howard to begin with, because my husband had one of uh, is it your second book, Time in a Bottle? Your yeah, it's your second. I think Time second a, book was Time in a Bottle. Yeah. yeah, Time in a Bottle is his second book. And that's been, my husband, you know, read that book. And so I was very familiar with that. And then when I, I saw Howard's name pop up on Wisdom, I'm like, oh, I know who Howard Falco is. And long story short, we had a bunch of conversations together and we've we've become good friends. And actually we do a Wednesday, you do once a month, but we're on a fireside conversation as well mm-hmm. together. And, um, but my point is, is that there was times that I was literally like, you know, because I was going to have to get on wisdom in the beginning. It was about a year ago. I'm not like that anymore. But I thought I asked myself exactly what you're saying. What are you fearing? What do you, what do you, this is, well, not what you're saying, but how I said, I, I access this inside of myself. And I said, what are you believing to be true? Because you're obviously scared. So you're thinking a thought that's making you scared. What are you thinking? And I would access that thought. I was very honest with myself and I would say, you're afraid you're not going to make sense or people are going to like you or whatever the thought was. I can't remember at this point. And I would not hit send or go or start whatever we hit on wisdom until I breathed into the opposite of that. People love to hear me speak, you know, whatever it was. And I just let that. And then when I, as soon as I felt that to me, it's kind of a click, but it's not a physical click. When I felt that, like, like I reached into it, that's when I hit go. And every single time I had the most amazing feedback come back to me. And here's the fascinating part. It was almost identical to the I am statements that I have been saying about myself. Like people would say the exact things. Oh, you know, I'm so, whatever it was, you know, it was just, and I would hang up and I'd be like, it's not funny. It, it really works that way. Like what we believe about ourselves is what is going to be experienced in our life. That's right. And um, like I said, when you know you don't need to say the affirmation anymore is when it's been embodied. Yeah. You have children, right? Yes, I have three. Three. Do you need to say when you wake up, I am a great mother? No. Right. So we say these affirmations. Howard, that is true. Yes. Yeah. So you'll say these affirmations, but when, when the day arises where you don't need to say it anymore. Yeah. You are it. Yeah. So on the day I arised with my podcast and with uh, the wisdom app and things like that, where I didn't have to say it anymore, where it was just was. And it took just so people know, like this took a dedication on my, on my side. This took a will, like you were talking about. It was like, I don't like this feeling. I'm a it's public uncomfortable. Speaker. Yeah. You're, you're expanding, right? Yeah, I'm like, I'm expanding. a public speaker. This is what I want to do. This is what lights me up. And this little bit of nagging fear was just holding me back. Right. Now, when the seed is planted, do you get to eat the fruit the next day? Right. So when you don't say that anymore, the seed is planted. Don't put your mind on, well, where's the result? Yes. Just keep being that every day. And what you have said through your I am statement will germinate. And ultimately, one day when you least expect it will bear fruit. That has been the repeating theme in my life. And I 100% like it literally has worked 100% of the time for me all throughout my life when there's something that I, that I wanted or I desired. And when I just, I kind of, with some things I can set it and forget it, right? Because I don't really have worthiness attached to it. I can just set it and forget it. And I don't pay attention. I don't keep my eye on it. Next Mm -hmm. thing you know, that thing is I'm experiencing that 
It's, it's the exact right. same thing I was experiencing. And yeah. because I am un, was unattached to when, where, or how this thing was going to show up in my life, when it showed up, I almost didn't even really notice until I went, wait a minute, I own a salon now. Because right. one of the things was I wanted to be a salon owner at some point in my career. And I, I'm like, how did this happen? Like, you know, because I set it out there. But there was other times when I needed to to really work on, like I could feel that I did not feel worthy of this thing that I was wanting. And I think that's where that honest self-inquiry comes from right. uh, or, or benefits us. Yeah. There's one more magical thing I want to drop here. Please, drop it. It's not only what you say and do that increases the probabilities of what you experience. But by saying what you believe to be true about yourself and doing it with an authentic belief in who you are, life is going to start to nurture that into being. Because mm -hmm. that's what it's here to do. Okay. It's here to meet truth and create it. Yeah. Now, that's positively or negatively, just so you know. But that's the co-creation that you're in with life, is that it's here to support what truth is in the world, mm. individually and collectively. I love that. Uh, just, you kind of answered the very last questions, but I'm going to ask you the one before, which is, what would you say to someone who doesn't feel very courageous? I've had people say to me, Kristen, you're so courageous. Like, why are you so courageous? And I'm like, I didn't even know I was courageous. It's because it's my natural essence. I'd never said it was anything like that. But there's people who are really stuck. Like they're so afraid of taking just that. We talked about this briefly already about stepping into the unknown. But I think it's something that's returns and returns and returns from people is that having the courage to go where you don't yet know how it's going to turn out and having that faith to do so. Right. Well, courage is a result of faith. Mm. Faith is a result of awareness. That's a bomb. So if someone doesn't have courage, it's because there is more fear in the projection of what the step forward means than there is faith. Makes perfect sense. So it's faith is the answer. But faith brought, I don't like blind faith. Yes. Although that's a big thing in life. Blind faith, let's let's make sure we understand that. Blind faith means without seeing what's coming, you, you have faith in it. But I like faith that is constructed from a foundation of understanding the purpose and the intent of you and the purpose and the intent of life. When you know that at a very deep level, of understanding and awareness, faith is. Yeah. Would you say that's a faith in that life loves you and wants you to win? What, well, what would yeah, I, I would, the, the, I would change the word just slightly is that faith has birthed you, you know, life has birthed you into existence, into this womb of our universe. And your purpose is no different than any other piece of matter that's come together and been birthed into existence, which is infinite creativity. So why would life serve you any less than it does the grass or a tree or a bird or anything else in existence? Yeah. You are equally as worthy being birthed into existence as anything or anybody else in existence. And I don't care what's happened in this moment, you are worthy. Mm -hmm. So life will support you and love you and nurture you the more you understand that and open to that truth. Yeah.
That's so beautiful, Howard. So do you, can you guess which poem I want you to read? Let's see if you can guess. Use your intuition. <laughs> um, Maybe the brush. I don't know. Um, like no. Goodbye, fear. Oh, yeah. Would you okay. mind reading us goodbye, fear? Can you give me the page number? That's the I one sure thing will. I haven't memorized. 226. Okay. That is also one of my favorite poems. And it comes at the end of the part on self-awareness where you're learning how to understand your worthiness and your perfection. And because of that worthiness and perfection that you now understand at this part of the book, this is your um, homage or goodbye to what has held you back. So yeah. this is goodbye fear. One day I'll break free from your grip that's on my mind. Be the limitless that I long to be. Be a creation of any kind. You are the perceived wall that keeps my soul from endless joy, holding me from the pure love that I am. Yours is the cruelest of ploys. But when faith does cause the strength over your spell that seems so strong, the tide will start to turn. A time to peace won't seem so long. Goodbye, fear, and all the confines that you bring. Slay you I will, and my eternal season will be spring. The world would be better without all the evil that you make. Be a place of only love, nothing sinister, nothing fake. Know your time is running out, for I will soon claim victory. Fulfill the dreams that I have dreamed. Become my true destiny. Mm -hmm. Beautiful. God, that felt so good. Howard, this has been just... I, I, my face hurts <laughs> from smiling. This has been absolutely just, mm, just so juicy, so delicious. I felt every word that you said, I cannot wait to share this with everybody who's going to consume it. And I would love for you to tell everybody how they can get a hold of you, follow you, where they can find I am and time in a bottle as well. Sure. First of all, Kristen, thank you to you for having me and hosting me here and uh, for everything that you do in the world to put out your incredible heart and love that you do every single day. I appreciate who you are. So thank you. Thank and for all the incredible accolades on the book. Thank you. Um, so my websites are howardfalco.com where there's videos and information about my work with private session work and, and speech work. Um, the books are on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, and any independent bookstores. They are I am the power of discovering who you really are and time in a bottle, mastering the experience of life. And I'm currently writing a third book, which I'm hoping to have out next year, which I'm very excited about. Um, and then I have a sports site for the sports work that I've done at the world in the world with professional and college athletes and, and elite high school athletes called totalmindsports.com. Um, and then I am on Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, and all the mediums where I share this wisdom. And then also the last thing is I have a podcast um, that I have 18 episodes out called the guru. And the tagline is the true guru is always you. Amen. I loved that. When I saw that, I was like, oh my gosh, that's per it said the guru. And then I saw under it, the true yeah. guru is always you it throws people off, but it's intended to do that because yeah. I want them to pay attention to what I'm really saying, you know? Yes. yes. So, and I didn't know you were on TikTok. I got to go jump over to TikTok and follow you. <laughs> Thank you again, Howard, for being here. So much love it to you. My pleasure. Much love to you too. And thank you very much, Kristen. 
I hope you all enjoyed this interview as much as I did. And if you did, I would sure appreciate it if you jumped over to iTunes and left me a five-star rating and review. And don't forget to share it with someone that you love. Until next time, everyone, remember, you matter.